Welcome to How to Decorate from Ballard Designs, a podcast all about the trials and triumphs of decorating and redecorating your home. Each week, we'll help you unleash your inner decorator. I'm Caroline, and I'm on the marketing team. And I'm Taryn, and I'm a product designer. And I'm Liz. I head up the Ballard creative team. We're your host. Join the expert team at Ballard Designs for tips, tricks, and tales from interior designers, stylists, and other talents in the design world. Plus, we'll answer a listener question at the end of each show. So don't forget to send them to podcast at ballarddesigns.net. Yes, we love answering them. Now, on with the show. Our guest today is a great friend of ours. We've worked together for years and years. Lifestyle and design expert, Susanna Salk. She has, okay... 12 books. I tried to look on Amazon and there were a couple that I didn't count that you co-wrote. So maybe it's 14. Is that the right number? Uh, I have never co-written anything. Oh, okay. I don't think. Like, I don't which know. Maybe one? Amazon got it wrong. No, no, no. Because sometimes if I've asked someone to write an introduction, it comes in mm. as though I've co-written. And I actually, not that we're going to talk about this today, but I snuck in another little book this year, um, which I self-published called Trespassing, oh, a little okay. memoir. What is your total count? Well, if you count the, the memoir, I think it's 14. 14. It's a, okay. You have 14 books. It's a few Amazing. of the titles. <laughs> Decorate Fearless. I'm only going to name a few because we don't have time. Decorate Fearlessly, Be Your Own Decorator, The Power of Pattern, and many more. She also has a hit YouTube channel called Quintessence, where she tours the homes of some of the world's most celebrated designers and takes her audience with her. She's a master at extracting approachable tips from some of the most lavishly decorated spaces. And her latest book is called Making a House a Home, Designing Your Interiors from the Floor Up, coming out March 7th. Susanna Salk. Thank you so much for coming back. You've been on the show before, but here we are again. I'm a, I, it, I was, it was a privilege to be there when I think you guys kind of first launched the podcast, mm-hmm. when podcasts were really not quite even a thing yet, and you guys were right there at the beginning. And I actually came to Atlanta. This is all before like the Zoom technology. It, it, we were yeah. building Old a campfire and hieroglyphics. <laughs> <laughs> We communicated back then on our podcast. No, um, yes, and now it's so fun to have us all in a split screen and all talking. And thank you for having me back. Of course, I, um, you know, I was starting before even getting into the book. I was just thinking, how does she even come up with the book's concept? Because, you know, with fourteen books, like you would think that you've covered it all. That like, okay, what's left? You know. It's true. Uh, I would say that every book uh, and even the video series, I, I don't know of another word except for download. It's like literally it downloads itself, not in all its detail, but almost manifests itself and download like immediately into my mind. I just wake up. I'm like, oh yeah, that's the book that I want to do. I know that that sounds weird. Um, or like the CZ guest book, or, you know, it doesn't always have to be like a specific design book. Um, this book actually Rizzoli approached me to do making a house a home as kind of a follow-up to be your own decorator. Um, wanting to have a kind of updated version of inspiring and helping people kind of taking them through whether they're trying to tackle a living room or a bathroom or a mudroom or the whole thing kind of chapter by chapter. Um, so I don't know how and why it happens, but I think that just being out there in the world and seeing 
so much inspiration visually and talking to designers and conversations maybe and problems that people have. Sometimes it just presents itself to you. But it's funny, I gave an advanced copy, my only advanced copy besides the one for my own, to a friend of mine last week who is a designer herself, not that you have to be a designer at all to get anything out of this book, it's for everybody. In fact, I thought maybe a designer wouldn't really need the book, right? And she like immediately opened it up because she was doing her own home. And uh, I saw her scurrying through the different chapters and flipping through and she was taking pictures And, you know, it was exactly what I wanted. And what she was doing is she was looking at ideas for her kitchen in the Hamptons. And yet she was taking pictures of a wallpaper in London from an apartment, right? So it's all about not a literal translation. It's about, oh, I never thought of, love that uh, lime green rattan table that Lulu Lytle has in London. And I love how she's paired it with a red and white Benson fabric, but I'm thinking of that more as an overall concept for my kitchen in the Hamptons. So it was very satisfying to see her kind of use the book as a scrapbook for that. So no matter your budget, no matter your room, you just have to look at all. It's like the one place I always say interior design, plagiarize, plagiarize and personalize it because it's never going to be the same thing from my room to yours, right? So I hope everyone will chapter by chapter get ideas. And I have quotes from each of the designers whose room it is about why and how they did. One of the things I loved about it is I could tell that for the most part, it was designers own homes. And you you kind of mentioned this off camera, which we're going to have to talk about. Mm -hmm. A lot of the images were shot by your partner, Stacy Bucus. Bucus. Mm-hmm. Okay. I was like, wait, how do I say that? While she was, yes, your partner in contestants, she does all the videography and photography. Yep. And many of the stilts. You can explain it. I'm sorry. <laughs> so essentially, this book, it was so fun because in the old days when I did a design book, I had to kind of pick and pull. Like if I saw an image in Domino Magazine or an El Decor before the series, I would then have to approach the photography, you know, the photographer or their agent or the designer themselves. Did they own it? Did they not? Very complicated, very time consuming. This was really a treasure trove because every time we go and shoot the Quintessence video series, I don't know if you notice, but when you're watching the videos, sometimes you'll see a still shot. And Stacey, the still shots have really saved us because sometimes she can film over a still shot and make you slowly explore the image in a more you know, in a different kind of way, slow or fast. So she's had hundreds of still shots from over the years. So every single shot in this book, except for one that, two that I took, um, she took while we were shooting our dog books or while we were shooting the series. So maybe you've seen some houses before, but you've never seen these shots before because they're all from her eye, all from what we've done. And it's such a privilege to be able to get, to give a, kind of um, platform, a visual platform and an audience for many of these shots because they didn't make it into the final video, but we loved them anyway. And sometimes we're so excited when we're going around a house, she just takes shots, but we can't put them all in a video. So how wonderful that we can use them as inspiration here. Yeah. I loved that too, because I always find designers own homes to be the most fascinating because they're like a little, 
less laboratory, right? Yeah, they're like for a like what bit they want to do more. Mm-hmm. They're, often they're like a little more rough around the edges. I feel like than their client spaces. It's like maybe rough around the edges is the wrong word, but like they're more um, like wild looking. Like they take more risks. I find, and they're a little bit more undone than a designer. You know, a, a space they've designed for a client, which they've like dotted all the bows and or dotted all the i's and crossed all the t's but their own houses it's like yeah they're very personal and Mm -hmm. you know you can go into their i mean what you will notice is that it's still very very thorough that doesn't mean it's quote perfect it means that they care as much about the votives for their candles as their hairbrush as their uh you know how they display their shoes as to how they put their pens in a cup on a telephone table, it's all 100% equally thoroughly personal. And that's what the best homes are. So you can really see a top to bottom expression of them, no matter where you go in their house. I've never been to a, I've never shot in a designer's own home where there's a drop off, like, oh, it looks really great in this room. And then there's a curtain and it's just a cliff and it's just a, a bottomless pit of you know, messiness. It's like, no, no, no. (laughs) Everywhere you go, you see them in everything that they do. And that's what has always really inspired me is, and it doesn't mean about being anally retentive or obsessively compulsive or, you know, worried about perfection. It's just that making sure that every single thing, and that's where, you know, when you asked me about how do I come up with ideas for the books, my book, It's the Little Things, That really, I think, came out of years and years of seeing designers care about the little things and the big things. And again, it doesn't have to mean fancy or perfection. It means that um, the cup that I put my pencils in has a meaning to me as much as the painting in the dining room. So it's the little things. uh, When you walk into a room, Even if you don't look at everything, you can't look at everything right away. But when you take the time to settle in and you start to see, oh my gosh, everywhere I look, I feel the personal nature of this person's home. You feel that. You you feel that within seconds and you have like, at least for me, an emotional reaction. Um, so every designer, I think that we've ever done, I have felt that about, even though they've manifested their personality in very different ways. The way that Bunny Williams does a living room is very different than how Caleb Anderson does a living room or Ludo Lytle, but the quality of the degree of how they intentionally want to express themselves is the same. It's very present and it's very edited and yet it's very, um, layered. Well, I'm a f- such a fan of quintessence. I think, you know, a lot of people listen to like ASMR sounds or like things to calm them down. I watch quintessence and it helps me just like chill out and get in touch with with design and what's going on in designers' homes. And I think that it's such joy and it's such a, a great video series to watch. Um and you approach every door of a designer's home and you walk through the door with such joy and openness and um, 
interest in what they're doing. And I think that that's just fantastic. What is What are some of the things that you've been surprised most about in designers' homes? Well, I think that... Um... I know this sounds strange, but you know, there's that expression, the cobbler's son's shoes, you know, how the cobbler's, you would think, oh, the cobbler's son's shoes would be the best shoes, but often they're the ones that get ignored because there's never time because the cobbler's busy. You would think, oh, maybe a designer's own home, they wouldn't have time to care, right? They wouldn't go the distance in so many things because they're so busy doing it for everyone else. Maybe they are burned out or just want to kind of live in some simple shell of a structure that was comfortable and that was it. Nope. No, 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 no. Everyone from the minute you open the door, it's a proliferation of, as I said, their joy and their passion for design. So I've always been blown away by the um, unjaded like joy that they bring to their own homes and the commitment to making their own homes right. Some of them will sell and buy another home. Some of them are in the same place for 40 years. They don't worry the way I think. Maybe it's because they have the confidence of experience. But one of the things that designers have really taught me is they just don't worry so much about whether something goes or it's going to fit or do they have room for it? They travel all the time. Why would they collect another bull or textile or antique chair. They don't care. They just love it. They know they will find a place for it. So that kind of um, freedom in, you know, continually collecting, continually changing, um, I have found very refreshing. And and I've actually um, learned myself that, you know, if something is the same way for six months in any of my rooms, I will tinker with it. That doesn't mean that I go out and buy everything new, but I'll move stuff around. I'll try not to be stagnant. And I think that uh, that's really important life lesson too. I think it's good for our kids to see that. I think it's good for us to, you know, not love a visual landscape or a room or an arrangement so much that we just can't move it, you know, and maybe someone else suggested and that can annoy us, but then oh yeah, by putting this here or taking this away or putting that away, that gave that room. So I moved that there. They've really taught me that a lot. Okay. You're seeing these like perfectly appointed homes for designers. You know, not all of them are like necessarily huge mansions or anything, but they're, I would say meticulously and luxuriously appointed. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. But then you are so good at translating that into sort of like digestible, approachable tips. Do you ever feel like there's sort of a, a challenge because they are putting this design eye into every like cup of pencils and their, you know, toothbrush holder. And like, is that, is there a place in the middle? No, because you could switch that and say, how wonderful that even if I only had $10, I could take the idea of going to a flea market and buying a cup that I loved for $3 and bringing it home. And, and, and instead of you know getting rid of that Dixie cup or that plastic cup that I didn't care about, but like Bunny Williams or Thomas O'Brien or anybody, 
the way that they have fulfilled every corner in their rooms full of their personality. I'm going to do that with the cup that I find in the flea market today. And maybe something funny happened along the way, or I went with my best friend or my sister or my mother or my um, partner. And something happened along that way to that flea market story that we found that cup. And so now when I have that cup back on my telephone table with the pencils in it, every time I look at that cup, there is a story in my mind of some little thing, a memory. And that's what every designer brings. I've never been to a house and not pointed at something that I loved and there wasn't a story behind it. And I'm not talking about a story like the president of this country presented me with this. It's like, oh, yeah, we were lost and we ran out of gas. And so we had to stop off at this little village somewhere. And we walked into the store while we were waiting. And it's that, right? So if anything, I love it when designers have, you know, such a next level way of living because there's always something to inspire anybody really at every level. What would be challenging, and this has never happened yet, is if I went somewhere where there wasn't style and personality every turn, because then, you know, if things look like hotel lobbies, all perfect, matched, boring, what is there to say? Like, what do I care? What, what are you going to care if everything looks like two-dimensional? I would never, ever tell you who, and you would never, ever know because it wasn't actually in a video series, but there's only been one time where we went somewhere and I don't over-research anything. I don't go into the house. I promise you before we film, we literally film for an hour and a half. And as I discover things, that's when we're filming. I may do a quick tour first, but we don't over-practice or rehearse or take takes or anything. So what I'm seeing Maybe I've seen it in a magazine um, or on Instagram, but I haven't done a pre-scouting out ever. There just isn't time. There was one time where what I had seen of somewhere was really literally only what there was. And it was even kind of not as good as that. It had been overly styled. And the, the, the rooms that we saw were just void of any kind of personality. I mean, it literally looked like a lobby, like a, like a four-star lobby hotel in Atlanta. Do you know what I'm saying? There's no story. There's no narrative to- There was no narrative. Yeah. It was just all matchy-matchy, perfect. I had a feeling it wasn't this designer's home home. I, I don't know. I can't explain it, but that was challenging. So as perfect and fancy as everything looked, I just did not know what to say. And I kept saying to Stacy, there's nothing here. Like she had her camera. I'm like, don't even worry about it. Just don't even like, nope, nope. She was like with her camera. I was like, just, we're going to wrap this up. You watch me and we're going to run back to the car. Like there's nothing. So don't even, you know, that's only ever happened once in over like 150 things. So the perfection that you talk about and the level of like, I don't want perfection or things looking too perfect because then there's very little inspiration to be had, if that makes sense. What do you think makes it so different from a designer's home versus a non-designer's home? I mean, listen, we've shot at many homes that weren't necessarily an interior designer by trades home. Uh -huh. They could be a textile designer mm -hmm. or everyone's one of the most popular videos that you know got to a million views very quickly was Jill Sharps in Atlanta. She was the style director at Ballard, 
And I just loved her style from doing some shoots with her. And I hadn't even seen her house in Charleston, but I had a feeling like when I met her, I'm like, I want everything that you're wearing <laughs> right away. It's just, I was like literally ordering it while we were talking. Uh, and then I saw her the way she styled. And the point is when I went, um, I convinced Stacy, I was like, we should just do this. And she manifested her personality and her love of styling and her landscapes, visual landscapes in her home. So it doesn't have to be an interior mm-hmm. designer by trade. It could be, that's not necessarily a qualification. It just mm-hmm. happens to have started with interior designers. Yeah. But I, you know, and I would, some fashion designers, right, will will style their homes as wonderfully as mm-hmm. they do themselves. I have found, interestingly enough, and I don't know if you guys have noticed this, just because somebody just because their house is amazing doesn't necessarily mean that they dress in the same way. Or if they dress in one way, doesn't mean that their house is that way. You can't, it's not always a a linear, you know, Uh match thing. So you have to be careful. You can't think, oh, this person is very famous at X, therefore their house must be next level. Uh Not. And also another thing that I found that's very interesting, and we were touching on this earlier, is a designer's own home don't think that, oh, you love that house they did for themselves. Go on their website maybe and look at other projects. Totally different, which is understandably because they're right. designing for other people. But it may not capture your heart and your your imagination, your inspiration the way their own home did. So it doesn't mean they can riff on that 50 more times mm-hmm. in different ways at that level that you fell in love with them the first time. There's a ver- there's a, ver- a few that can do it every single time, <laughs> you know, like Miles Red. It's yeah. like every single time. Now, Miles Red definitely brings Miles Red in the most wonderful way. He doesn't disappear in his projects, right? Sometimes yeah. a great designer knows how to disappear, and that's why you may not love their other work as much because in their own homes they didn't disappear. Miles doesn't in the very best ways. So mm-hmm. I, I don't think I've ever seen a Miles Red project that I didn't covet. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. Yeah. Like, and you go, but you go to Miles for that imagination, you mm-hmm. know, that he has. By the way, right behind me is the Miles Red for Ballard pillar. Oh. <laughs> and I have yeah, yeah, yeah. On it. Totally that was a good that. one. That, that was, was a good, good. one. Yeah, that was, so good. was really good. And that kind of is a, you know, is a th- synthesis of what design is all about when I talk about plagiarizing and cross-pollination. So I've seen people, designers, Miles especially, do columns like that and putting a plant on it or just almost having it in a living room to give architectural detail, like even Bill Blast did that, right, in his famous house in Connecticut. So it's like over the years, you might see columns kind of use Bunny Williams does it a lot. Mm-hmm. She has it in her greenhouse that I've seen. She puts plants on more formal kind of structures of columns, Doric columns. And so when Miles made it affordable with Ballard, it was like, done. I want to bring some of that and mm-hmm. copy that for my own room. It weighed mm-hmm. a ton. I was so impressed. Like, it was so cool. I was like, oh my gosh, this thing is like 10 tons. Anyway, it looks very glamorous in my own little humble dining room. So that's, 
I think we have to always be open to what do we love? What kind of moves us every time we see it? And then when we see that moment that maybe we can like capture it for ourselves in some way that we can afford, you do it, right? Maybe it's just a coat of paint. Okay, share some more with us of favorite tricks you've brought home to your own space that you mm-hmm. saw at a designer's house. I love that. A favorite trick. Well, I would definitely say visual landscapes, you know, like. I loved that in the book. Yeah, I've never heard that term. Visual landscapes are kind of anywhere that you want them to be. It could be like, I'm looking at kind of a good one that I've made right now in the middle of my circular table, which is, you know, it's about layering, height, texture, personal objects. But like, so on my dining room, on my sort of small table in my sun porch, I have a beautiful circular bronze tray with little from Ballard. I'm not making this up, people. I really do. Votive mercury candles. <laughs> and then in the middle, I've got this hellebore, those winter plants in this dark plum in a great textured pot. So I've got textures of different and heights of different degrees, right? I've got the, the base of the tray, then a little bit higher that are the mercury candles. And then higher than that, you see the wonderful white pottery texture of the pot holder, which like Christopher Spitzmiller esque kind of wonderful um, container. And then this hellebore plant. So right there that I see every day, that brings me joy, that landscape. To my left along um, this cabinet, I've got my little bar set up with the tray. You know, designers bars always inspire you, right? You don't have to drink, be a drinker to like set up a cute little bar. And then next to it, I have candles of varying heights, a marble sculpture my friend made for me and a plant. So it's kind of mixing the living nature with a man-made material. And it's about the different heights and it's always edited. It can mm-hmm. be unfolding and kind of full and, and, and maxed out, but it, but it, everything in there should, you should love. And it should be very specific. That doesn't mean it has to be, um, you know, bare. You can do a lot. Over on another place, this is another thing, like a lamp, right? With a really interesting texture that I got at Home Goods for $12. <laughs> but I have it next to a bowl that my mother gave me of her mother from India from the 50s. Okay, so that silver old bowl brings up the level, right, of the lamp base. And then I've got a beautiful plant and behind it all is a black and white butterfly. I collect black and white photography is a huge photograph of a butterfly that's almost abstract. So everything, and then there's a plant in a terracotta pot. So these are visual landscapes. I wouldn't have had the confidence to do something like that 20 years ago. I mean, it took a lot of time of me like, oh, I see how Bunny did that. Oh, look how Miles did like, you know, you just have to ask and look and and hopefully my book will give you confidence too. like show yourself or your painter or your partner or your decorator or your friend that you're shopping or designing with these pictures because lean on them like visual crutches. Yeah, this was my favorite part of the book. That's the, that'll give you the confidence to like, for example, if you look at the opening title page, which is Lulu Lytle's, uh, um, that green rattan table in London, it inspires me so much. She has these dahlias, right? In this gold little vase. 
And behind it, she has four or five pictures of different little square sizes hammered to the wall on top of wallpaper below a larger gold framed picture, right? So I think, and it's low. We think, oh, don't pictures have to be at eye level on a wall with nothing, right? And this gives me confidence, like you can create a little visual landscape moment right behind and above a table, a side table, dun, 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 put four or five little pictures and then a bigger picture above them, add some fresh flowers, put that pot, make that, you know, container. It's the little things for your dahlias. Be the best that it can be, even if it's not expensive. It's golds and greens, you know? So that's what you have to be looking at over and over again to encourage yourself to recreate it as, as however you want. It, it seems like amongst these little visual landscapes that you um, highlight in the book, which I would have, I, I feel like I've never heard that term, like a vignette or like a grouping, kind of like mm-hmm. a little styled moment. Tray is a, a tray is a good trick. And risers. It seems like a lot of the designers use some sort of mm-hmm. like riser, mm-hmm. you know, acrylic or wood or something. And then they always like group it on a tray. You know, mm-hmm. group on the tray, or you do a little stack of vintage books. Mm-hmm. Go to a flea market. If you love what the covers look like on the sides and they look old and they have a history to them, that will translate, right? Like, let's say you see a little like four books on wildflowers of Maine. You don't have to care about wildflowers of Maine, but just the idea that someone loved them and had them and they're old and they have pretty little bindings, using those as risers, right? And to put a little vase that your best friend gave you with a little cut flower on them. Now things are starting to feel interesting. Doesn't have to be expensive. I will say it is impossible to create visual landscapes unless you have some things to play with. That doesn't mean you have to have thousands of things, but you must have, you know, some candles that look great, that have good bases. You must have some kind of container to put flesh flowers in or a potted plant in, Right a tray, some books, and some objects that you love. Um, maybe from childhood, you collected little horses and you have 30 of those horses in a box somewhere for your grandchildren. Why not take one horse out and put that in your visual landscape next to a favorite little watercolor that you'll frame that your child made? You know, start mixing in Things from your life. Don't hide them away in boxes. Those can make appearances on your landscapes. Mm-hmm. And I think that's this what makes... really kind of next level layering. Yes. And I think that's right? what makes a home, again, feel like there's a narrative and there's that story of where someone has right. been versus you don't have to put anything on top of that console. You can put two lamps, but you have no depth, no visual layering right. to kind of give a story. And I've told friends this too. Like I had a friend where... She had a lot of great paintings on her walls. And every time she put a painting on a wall, she thought that she had to put a table under it. And I was like, well, listen, now just wait a minute. If you put a table under a painting, that table has to be styled. Yeah. So you don't have to, like, just take away the table and let your eye relax on the beauty of a bare wall with a fantastic painting on it. So if you put a table somewhere, like a side table against the wall, you better bring it. It better be right. Because there's nothing more frustrating to me walking into rooms or down hallways where there's just a table and 
some pictures that aren't in nice frames that you can tell no one really like that sort of clutter more than a visual landscape. You can just tell it's just holding on to things that the person doesn't even really know that they're there or care about. So there's a difference between visual landscapes and clutter, forgotten clutter. And I also <laughs> like fireplace mantles are the best, like the Brinsons, Sue and Will Brinson. They're not designers, but they have that great blog. Um, um, and they're working on their old, you know, on their house. And when you go to their home, they bring in the natural plants and they really just do a beautiful job on landscaping their mantles. I really hate it when I go somewhere and there's like an old matchbook and you can tell a picture in kind of a junky frame and just, it's a catch all. Whereas you can really use a mantle to really have fun in a room for not a lot of money. One of the things I'd like about these visual landscapes is that every object seems to be speaking to the object next to it. Yes. And that there must be some sort of thread, whether it's a color or size or you know something like that. But that, that seems to help tie it all together. But I would say, um, like any great dinner party, if you invite 10 great dinner guests and you just bring them to the dinner, you don't have to worry about where they're seating because if they're all great and different, it's going to be great, right? Mm -hmm. So I... Yes, you, you fuss a little bit with the different sizes and arrangements, but everything will correlate in an interesting way, that yin and yang, when you don't worry too much. So like when I talked about that my lamp base from, say, a home goods from 10 years ago, it looks vastly more interesting when it's just next to my grandmother's bowl from India. But I didn't have to worry about that because I love the way that textured lamp base looks. If you love it, it will all go together. And every designer will tell you that. If you love it, it will all work. Oh, Susanna, I don't know. I, I This is the <laughs> one place. This is the one place that I feel like I have a mental block. Like I could, I can easily style a photograph of, in, or like style a, mm -hmm. a console in someone else's home. But it's just like... I don't know. I think your own items to me, it's so hard. Hmm. I just, you mean which to select? Well, I just think that like when it's your own items and you do have sort of like a sentimental feeling about things, I don't know. It like clouds my judgment. I can't think objectively about like, do these go together or like not go together, well, like match, point, but, but like do they contrast in an interesting way? Is the, you know, movement of the shapes and the heights and the textures all, I don't know. I don't know. Well, you can't I, overthink it. You do which have I'm to- Which I'm obviously doing. <laughs> which you're obviously doing, but that's understandable. I think that, how about this? When you go to do your visual landscape, have your 10 or five or however many favorite things that are going to go on that visual landscape. And the only thing, as long as you love them and they mean something to you, the only thing that you should play around with is the heights, Right. So that is important. If something's blocking something else. Um, now in that Lulu Lytle picture, those little pictures that she has on the wallpaper, they're being somewhat impeded by the objects in front of them, but their job is to offer another layer. The things in the very front, you'll see that there should be, like if you look at a skyline of a city, you know how it's like some buildings are high, some buildings are lower. If you look at the new, you know, Manhattan landscape, 
Think of it as like that, like a cityscape. You're going to get some tall things. You're going to get some lower things. Worry about the heights and don't worry about whether it belongs there. Try that. And I always say this to both myself and others, give it a second. Let your eye get used to it. If you're creating something or moving something around and it was somewhere, some some way before for a year, six months, 10 years, you've got to give it a second before it becomes normal, right? So don't judge what you've done right away. Just let it sit for a little bit. If it still bothers you a couple of days later, something is wrong. It will probably keep bothering you. But you'd be surprised how the right thing will click right in after a little while. Like I remember one time in my other house, I had things just the way I wanted. And like the rug got moved because we had to move it somewhere. And I was like, I'm not doing this. I'm going to treat it. Like I was like a little toddler having a tantrum. And then we moved it. I was like, oh yeah, I totally love it. Okay, great. (laughs) I couldn't love it more. So like the person was like, I'm never changing that. It's perfect. Nothing is perfect. Always, always, you know, you got to have ebbs and flows. So you need to give it some time after you make that landscape arrangement. Just let your eyes settle on it and see what happens by the next couple of days. You'll know. I do. I do love that because I moved and I had, again, so many of those kind of visual landscapes where you're so happy. Again, it just feels right. And then to move and you have new walls and new, all of a sudden it doesn't feel the same. So I, I totally understand what you mean. So I need to work on mine because you're right. There's just, I'm not feeling great about them. So yes, there's a few that I need to like pivot and a few I did like. I liked how different and great it looked in the new space. So that's a really good takeaway. you take did away. end up, you're saying you did end up liking them. I have a few I really like, and then I have a few that aren't right. Like they haven't been right for a few months, but I just, again, need to take a moment to take things from upstairs to downstairs and, and carry around my tchotchke box and figure out height. And I have so many vessels for beautiful plants and I have beautiful plants. So like, I, I just have to, again, take the moment to make it something that feels good to your point. So and, and, and yeah, it's important. Don't waste another second not having your rooms don't have to look perfect ever, but they have to make you feel right. And life is too short to be walking by the same corner or the same landscape or room. And uh, you just go, uh, let make that right. Make it better. Doesn't have, you know, you may not make it hundred percent better. And sometimes bring in a friend, bring in another eye. It was funny. I had these clients once and they were like, we'd love you to come over and help us create this whole new kitchen. Uh, we really don't have enough space. And so we want to start getting some ideas about the kitchen. We're a little scared, blah, blah, blah. So I went over there, went in their kitchen. Well, an hour, well, they talked a little bit what they wanted. And I started like poking around as I always do. I was like opening their drawers and I was like, guys. And they were like, well, we're thinking of doing this. And, that. and I was like, you guys have like five water pitchers underneath like your main source of like cabinetry here. Do you actually use all five of those plastic water pitchers? Like wouldn't one kind of work? And they're like, oh yeah, we didn't even know we had those. And then I started doing that more and more with them questioning. And before you know it, lo and behold, after two hours, they didn't need a new kitchen. 
They just needed things moved around and they needed someone to say, do you guys really need this here? Or like, have you thought of moving that chair over to there and now that window you see more? So let's move that plant there and put this there. And they were so used to it and close to it that they thought they just had to throw the baby out with the bathwater and start from scratch. But all they really needed was some editing and someone to kind of challenge and come in fresh. They couldn't do with each other. So bring in somebody else sometimes that's never been to your house before because it's a little annoying when someone pokes and says, well, what have you ever thought of this? But just let them say it and maybe that'll trigger you into the ultimate solution. And sometimes you'll find that what you didn't think was something that was so great, everyone's like, I love that. I love that. Where'd you get that? It doesn't mean that you're decorating for other people, but it is helpful to have fresh reaction and perspective, right? Very much what so. Su- yeah, one of Suzanne uh, Castler's tips that I've always been meaning to do, but I've never done it, but maybe maybe now's the time, is she like puts all of the accessories of her client, like pottery and picture frames and um, mm-hmm. you know the little tchotchkes all on the dining room table once yeah. the once the project is installed and that's mm-hmm. like their accessory shop and so as they're putting the finishing touches on the room they keep they go back to that and they, that's where they start and that's kind of something i feel like would be so helpful it's like get it out of where it where you know it as living mm-hmm. and yes put it in a, a neutral place and then yes, that's a great idea. You can see Release everything it. together mm-hmm. and start Release over. it from your previous association. Like we mm-hmm. all over associate our certain pieces because it's always been there. That's what I mean about changing things up a little bit every six months, even if in little ways, because it's not fair for something. I mean, listen, I've had the same fiddle fig trees for the last five years in their same spots because of the, you know, some things, of course, but I don't know. I'm looking at these pillows over there. I'm like, you know, I've had those 10 years right there. Maybe, I don't know, maybe it would be fun to just don't be stagnant and don't over-associate. That's, that, that's a very good point because you're lucky you moved. I mean, moving is the biggest kick to you have for to. sure relaunching, mm-hmm. right? You literally are rethinking your whole life in different rooms. But let's say you haven't moved and you're in the same place. That can be great too. And it's it's a very important life lesson. We have to embrace change. We have to learn not to hold on to something so tightly because we love it so much. This object, this piece, right? We have to like understand that it's going to get a chip on it. It could break. It could get lost. Um, it may not feel as right to us anymore because something's changed in our lives. So we have to move with life in that way. And so too with our own homes. That's so good. And I need to do that, Caroline. You're so right. I need to like, cause I need to do it too. I know yeah. we should, we should both be like, all right, this is the Today. day. Should we come over and, and we can each help each too? other? Yeah. 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 No, I've yeah. often thought, I'm like, maybe I could call somebody to help me style because it truly is like a weird mental block. Doing it, you're doing mm-hmm. the styling. I can do it for someone else all day long, but mm-hmm. I don't know. Well, I would also suggest getting something new in the mix, like an amazing bouquet of flowers or a new plant or something. Something new changes everything up and all the other things change. So listen, how lucky you are 
to have the ability to reinvent, reimagine. You've got pieces uh, to play with. Look at it as like, not as a task, but as this amazing opportunity. Oh, yeah. Totally. It's definitely oh, got put on yeah. some music, <laughs> mm-hmm. make some coffee, drink some wine. I mean, yeah, it could be fun. Do it. It's fun. It really is. And it's like what they say about shop your closet. Like the other day I was like, oh, yeah, I forgot about this. This is, by the way, I do the same thing with my clothes. If I haven't worn something in a year, it gets donated. Because why would I wear it two years from now? Why, why would I? If I haven't worn it in a year, I either don't have the lifestyle to support that outfit. That was like a, a moment in time where I thought, oh, I was in St. Bart's. So I thought I kept buying. I'm like, I don't live in St. Bart's. Why do I keep buying these like little tiny mini knit dresses as though I was like Kate Moss on the beach in St. Bart's? Just no. Buy things for your life wear them and enjoy them and then give them to someone else if you haven't loved them or worn them in six months. But because what are you going to do? Because if you get invited to a wedding or a huge, you know, fun party, what are you going to do? You're going to probably buy something new, right? You're not going to wear that dress from 1986. Sorry. Well, and, and- I know people like to hold on to things, but yeah. I have nothing in my basement and I have one closet. I have no storage. I have nothing. Wow. Everything I have is on these shelves and on uh-huh. my hangers. That is it. I don't believe in rotating uh-huh. unless you're in an extreme storage situation, but like, I don't believe in rotating things out seasonally, um, storage, forget mm-hmm. it. Live with what you love or give it mm-hmm. away to somebody else. Well, it's nice to hear that. Cause I would not say you're a minimalist either. So it's a, I'm glad to hear you, you're, you're both, you're an editor uh, of sorts for sure. Um, and the way you can edit not only your home decor, but also um, even wardrobe, but it's very good. Thank to- you. Yeah. I, I, I am totally edited. And I, again, I, I get very sad when I see those pods outside next to people's homes and I get, if it's like an emergency, but if it's not an emergency, like they're moving or there was a fire or something happened, it is lazy. It is just a way to dump. I bet you if I went and said, what is in that pod? People would not know what they have because you forget about it when you stuck it away. Give it to somebody else and let them re, you know, bring life back into it, please. Mm-hmm. And by this the way, is- on my bureau, I have four trays. And on those trays, there's all the jewelry that I have just right out there. Uh-huh. And I see it and that's what I pull from. And if I get some new like little vintage piece or something and it doesn't fit on that tray, then I give something away so that it can only always fit on that tray. That is it. And I have a certain amount of hangers. Sorry, if it can't fit, (laughs) give something away. Yeah. I'm ready to start spring cleaning right now. (laughs) This is totally inspirational. I I got asked to do um, a talk on... What you can do for spring cleaning? Will you, Susanna? Will you talk to this um, uh, newspaper about that? And I was like, <laughs> I'll do it, but like, I don't believe in that. I don't believe like you're like oh, just throw it in the garbage. <laughs> That's my spring yeah, just, cleaning. You should be living all the time that things are fresh and wonderful for you, whether there's ten feet of snow outside or whether it's July. Like, I don't like that. How do we freshen up our homes for spring? I don't know. Make it fresh all the time. 
I just, I don't like trends or changing out this or that. I mean, there's certain practical things for sure, but I think that you can always have what you love at the ready to make you feel cozy and wonderful at all times in a edited way. I mean, I'm going to do the interview, but I'm going to say that. You should. I think that's inspiring yeah. to hear. Yeah, by spring I want to, we I mean want to live summer. That way yeah, <laughs> spring, summer, winter, fall. There we go. All together. Keep cleaning. Yeah, keep it fresh and now and what you love. Like I, I just didn't get it. I'm like, what am I going to tell people to go out and buy new flowered curtains? I mean, that's so ridiculous. Totally I agree. agree. Okay. Well, speaking of dilemmas, I think that we should do our decorating dilemma. Is everyone ready? Hmm. So this question is from Mandy. She says, hi, ladies. Thank you so much for your podcast. I've learned so much. And I, although I'm a graphic designer and website designer, I can still apply principles learned from your podcast to my own work. That's really cool. Yay. I love interior design, but will admit that when it comes to decorating my own home, it is like I freeze when trying to make a choice for my space. I agree sometimes. Sometimes I'm, I got it, but the styling is tricky. I love mixing vintage and modern and love color, but more muted colors if that makes sense. So I have a few questions I'd love help with. Our living area and kitchen area is one large room, and this is where we spend all of our time. I originally assumed we would get a lot of light in this area with a number of windows, but after living in the space, I've realized that I only get morning light and the room gets darker and darker as the day goes on. I've kept from adding window treatments to keep from blocking any light, but would love to include them to soften the space. This is tricky though, as I have a full wall of windows two bay windows, mm-hmm. a window pane door, and then an additional window in the kitchen area. I'm open to thoughts on how you would brighten the space, but I'm also interested in your thoughts on how I could apply window treatments. Finally, you will see I have a lot of dark cherry cabinets. It's not my style, and I am open to painting them as they are not in perfect shape. They are dated, especially with the built-in desk, so mm-hmm. any thoughts you have on this area would be greatly appreciated as well. Paint, removing cabinets, lighter table and chairs. At this time, replacing the countertops is not in our budget, but I would love to do that in the future. On one final note, all our furniture is up for paint, except the antique cabinet in the living room, and I would love to replace that dining chandelier if possible. Yeah, she should. Okay, I so wish I was there right with her, because, like, this would be so fun to do, because I would just, like, in, you know, 30 seconds give her, you know, this is a very easy problem to solve. I wish everyone could see this picture. Or are you going to share it? Like people can go and look at it. Oh, yeah, good. People are going to get to see this. Okay. Yes. So if I was walking into this room, the first thing I would say is get a, okay, well, like, it's funny because she went into the saying, what do I do about the window treatment? You don't need window treatment. You don't need window treatment. It's nothing because bay windows are so hard and these are beautiful windows and they look out onto your wonderful yard. So the first thing I would say is get a fantastic rug. Okay. These, this floor, we need to cut up all this wood. It's very, a lot of solids, a lot of woods, which are outdated. So there's two levels. Number one, you should definitely paint those um, current cabinets like a nice white. I know that can be expensive, but I would definitely do that. I wouldn't worry about your countertops. I would just, you know, it's interesting. When you see a, a room that has a lot of challenges, you have to start doing some things and then assess again before you go into other things, right? 
because some things will be less of a problem when other things have been addressed. For example, you may love that countertop in the sense that, yay, I don't have to spend money changing that because now the 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 wood underneath it and around it is a nice fresh white. Right now, that dark countertop is on top of dark wood next to more wood floor of another stain and another uh, stain on the cabinets. There's too many different kinds of stains and woods going on here. Um, so I would definitely paint those cabinets a nice fresh white. But the biggest thing that I would do, the biggest game changer would be get a fabulous, it doesn't have to be expensive, uh, rug from Ballard with a big, beautiful, juicy pattern on it and put it under that table area, okay? Because it's too, to see a dining room table and matching chairs on wood, it feels very bare. I would definitely take that spindly chandelier that's hanging down low and kind of blocking the windows above that table, and I would put a more recessed lights above there. But then, hear me out, I would also get rid of that little table that, remember I said, if you put a table down, you got to do something with it. And she's put that little table in front of her window with the plant on it. Let's make it super, like, I would think it would be better to put a series of maybe pots of lower flowers down along the floor area or like a fiddle fig tree along the side, but don't block that window in the middle like that. The biggest thing that I would say here is that it's a little matchy-matchy. I would love to see her, if this if this is possible, is keep the chairs, but get a different dining room table, like a vintage table or like a long farmhouse wood table, and add that to a pattern rug, and those chairs will suddenly come alive a little bit more. We talked about a dinner party. You don't, this is a dinner party manifestation as though everyone works in the same career. This is like a dinner party, all of teachers or mathematicians or engineers or actors. Like we need some variety here. We need to have an actor next to an engineer, next to a teacher, next to a politician. So we need to have like a color pattern rug, keep the chairs, but let's get a longer table that has some real personality to it and um, taking up a little bit more of that space uh, will bring some variety. I don't think she should block that window with window treatments. I think the windows don't feel right because all the other elements aren't quite right. And that's what I mean about let's start changing some of the other things and then reassessing. I, I would venture too that maybe painting the walls a nice fresh white she could do that, and then maybe you could keep the cabinets, the wood. You know, there's like many different things she can do, but she's got to break up the sameness of it all. And the easiest way, if she only had $500 to spend, have the electrician take down that chandelier and put in another, like, you know, ceiling light and get a fabulous rug from Ballard and put it under that table. And then my next level would be, do you have a table anywhere that's longer and has a little bit more personality? And then the next level I would do is let's think about painting those cabinets a nice fresh white. And then let's reassess. We don't have to paint dining room chairs. We, you know, you want to start slowly, but you want to start vigorously. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. I, I felt like kind of to 
similar but different like it is a lot of sameness but it's also all hard surfaces like mm -hmm. your countertops your cabinets your floor all of your, everything mm -hmm. is wood and everything's like hard i feel like there needs to be some softness like drapery if you want it that does that but if you don't want to block your light then maybe it's um some upholstered chairs maybe it's the rug maybe it's you know something soft i think i agree and really quickly i didn't even bring this up before but at the counter we see the black solid uh bar stools a great place for pattern there would be to get to reupholster those or to get some new chairs that as you say have a soft front pattern and don't worry about that it has to go with the rug pattern. The room will instantly come alive like dinner party conversation with a wonderful, simple pattern on those chairs. By the way, every single, like probably twice a year, I use Ballard by the Yard fabrics. I'm doing it right now. And it's so fun. I buy it by the yard, bring it to your upholster and reimagine a lot of your existing pieces of furniture. And how fun could you have with picking out a, a really fun, like floral or stripe or something for those bar stools and bringing them, you know, having her change it up that way and um, bringing that softness that you talk about and then getting a great patterned rug right there. Total game changer. I do feel like a rug under the dining table. I mean, she didn't mention kids. So I don't know if what her stain situation is. <laughs> she's, you know, I don't have a a rug under my dining table because I, you know, sweepy potatoes get thrown on the floor every night at dinner. But hopefully she's not in that stage of life. And um... you know what? Can I just interrupt? I have four dogs and I mm -hmm. have rugs everywhere and I have kids over all the time. I mean, my sons are in their 20s now, but don't worry about that. There's things called stain removers like OxyClean, that stuff you spray that like don't worry about that. Make your room look beautiful. Kids aren't as messy as we say that they are, they're not that messier than adults. In fact, every one of the designers that I've ever worked with, they've inspired my books on dogs because they all have dogs and the dogs are on every piece of furniture and nobody cares. And Robert Couturier said to me, I find that my dogs are neater than most grown-ups, <laughs> So it's not worth not getting a rug. Uh, by the way, um, I have some great uh, rugs that are they look like they're expensive, kind of oriental boho pattern rugs, but they're almost like a polyester, very short. And it's got um, huge patterns on They hide a myriad of, of, of stains. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot. We're not talking like a white rug here, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I don't think that she would be that she should worry about that. I, 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 I definitely think the rug is the most important thing, first and foremost. Mm -hmm. Well, Mandy, that is a good start. Think about breaking up some of this wood, get a rug. Pattern. Get out your paintbrush. Pattern, exactly. Pattern. Put your rug down first, then have fun reupholstering those bar stools. Do that first. See how it looks. Let your eye get used to it. Consider a longer table that fills in that space a little bit. Yeah. And, it is a big and, space. And, and any any mm -hmm. electrician will take down in a half hour. That's such an easy job. I just did it the other day myself in a project. They had a chandelier hanging too low down. 15 minutes, he took it out, rewired it, put a little recessed lighting in, boom. Yes, and I do think the whole living thing, something green, like 
she has these gorgeous windows to bring that. Yeah. Bringing some beautiful plants. Cause if you look through your book again, there's a whole thing on just having plant plants. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wasn't that a fun chapter? I was like, yes. wait, I'm going to have a plant life chapter because I don't know that just is such a big part. It doesn't mean you have to have, you know, the sophisticated green thumb and knowledge that someone like Bunny Williams has, but get a fiddle fig tree and put it in a great white pot and see how there's that wall to the right of her edge of her window. Like a tree there would really give some nice life, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you, Susanna. Can you tell everyone where they can find you, follow you, and of course, pick up your brand new book? Well, thank you. You can find Making a House a Home on Amazon or wherever books are sold online and hopefully in your local bookstore. Please reach out to me if you'd like me to send you a book plate, a signed book plate. I'm happy to mail one to you. Our YouTube series, Quintessence at Home With, is, is you know put in Quintessence and you'll see the orange Q on YouTube. And you can always go to my website, SusannaSalk.com, and you can click right to my Instagram or the video series where you could subscribe and get notices when a new one comes out right through my website. So I hope to see everyone somewhere soon. And please reach out to me on DM on Instagram if you have any questions, or you can also contact me on my website if you want to, I don't know, ask me anything else you want. And that's our show. You can find all of the show notes on our blog, howtodecorate.com slash podcast. To send in a decorating dilemma, email your questions to podcast at ballarddesigns.net so we can help you with your space. And of course, be sure to follow us on social media at Ballard Designs. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. And please leave us a review. We'd love to hear your feedback. Until next time, happy Happy decorating. decorating.